Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. Welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I'm your host, Jeanette Linfoot, and I'm here today with an inspiring powerhouse of a woman. Uh, She is the managing partner of Festive Road, but has an illustrious career working for some of the largest corporate brands right the way through from Amex, Cisco. Gosh, the list is endless. Yahoo, you name it. Um, So I'm delighted to have Caroline Strachan on the podcast. Welcome, Caroline. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Jeanette. Oh, you're very welcome. And we've taken us a while to get our diaries alive. (laughs) But eventually we're here and the wait is most definitely worth it, Caroline. So I'm really looking forward to chatting. Um, I think a great place, if you don't mind, would be to kick off with your journey, Caroline. Just tell us a little bit about where life started for you, where you are now. And then we'll uh, we'll go with the flow from there, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So I'm at that point in my career where you start to use very large numbers to describe how long you've been working for. Um, So I'm now up to 30 years, which people always say, oh, I don't believe it. Oh, you look so young. And I I obviously, I I really don't. Um, So yeah, 30 years ago, I left school age 16, um, just totally passionate about becoming a travel agent. That's all I'd ever wanted to be since the age of six. For those of you that have listened to my TED talk, then you'll you'll have heard this story. All through school, all I ever wanted to do was travel. And so therefore, I thought that meant be a travel agent. Um, don't regret a thing. I look back and think what a great step that was coming into the travel space. But oh my, how my world changed and morphed over those 30 years. So Um, I went from being a retail travel agent with Lumpolly, that beautiful red and white uniform, and I had a very dodgy 80s perm at the time. So I went from Lumpolly to Jet Set, the Australian tour operator, naively because I thought that meant I'd get to go and live in Sydney. Um, I didn't realise at that point in my life that's not quite how you get international relocation. Um, It didn't pay very well, so... um, I got a second job, so I did Jet Set by day, and I worked at the Britannia Hotel Manchester by night. <laughs> and and, wow. I, and I'll, be very, I'll be very clear that it was inside the hotel, because I think there's lots of ladies of the night outside the hotel behind, but I was definitely inside the hotel. Um, and people that hear that now go, oh my goodness, okay, my respect for you has gone up tenfold, because if you could handle that hotel and its guests, then, you know, I don't know, I've not been there since, but, um, but it taught me a lot. But one of the things that happened while I was working there was I got to see an event manager at play, an event manager who was handling this banquet for 500 people. And I just remember thinking, oh, I could do that job as you do as bold, you know, 18 year olds. And so I just asked him about it and he said, yeah, you know, blow me down the next day in Travel Weekly. There was a job advert for American Express hiring for event managers. And I was like, you know what? I could do that. 
looked at the location and it was 10 minutes from my parents' house. And I was living in Manchester at that time. I thought, you know what, this is meant to be. So applied, went through it, turned up as this very gushy 18 year old, very excited about the opportunity of going to work at Amex. Actually, I think I was probably about 20 by that point. And bless him, Niall Mackin, the most amazing leader there, he'd just been to the dentist. And so he couldn't talk. And I, I think that actually was a real blessing for me because he couldn't ask me any difficult interview questions. So all I did was enthuse at him for an hour and he hired me. So I think <laughs> that was my break out of the leisure side into the business side, moving over to Amex to work in event management. And I'll never forget being put on my first event. I think I was about six or eight weeks in. I'd never managed an event in my life. And they sent me out to Germany and I ran um, lodging for a massive printer. It's called Drooper, this massive printing exhibition. And I was responsible for this boat full of accommodation and guests. And I just remember thinking, how on earth did I get here? Like what? Like it was so surreal to me. And then spent six years there. And during that time, I led event logistics and event management for amazing brands like Microsoft, Cisco. I did their big annual sales meetings, 15,000 people to Vegas and San Francisco and like really, really cool stuff. Again, in my early 20s, just thinking, how on earth has this happened to me? But absolutely loved it and loved working for Amex. Uh, but I loved, I mean, this is a long time ago now. And then after six years thought, you know, I could stay here forever or I could go look to see what else is out there. So I went to look to see what else was out there and I applied to three companies and I got all three jobs. And I remember this really sick feeling of aged, I must've been about 27 at the time, like how do you make that decision? And one was pure event management, one was it, meetings and events in a TMC, and another one was I think in the travel space. And so I just remember thinking, oh, you know, I don't know which one I'm going to go with. Anyway, I went with going to work for BTI to run as it was, then HRG, which sadly, like the brand is no longer, but the people all live on. Um, so I went to lead their meetings and events business and have a, a quite a sad claim to fame, actually. During that time, I closed Global Event Solutions. Any event people listening will remember that brand, an amazing brand. But that was Hog Robinson Group wanting to exit that space. And that was a really early lesson as a mid 20 something, late 20 something, making people redundant and closing a business. I learned there's a real way of doing it with respect and finding every single person another job to go to. Um, so I guess that's a treat others as you wish to be treated, um, which is I think was my, my childhood learning from my parents. So then I find myself in this meetings and events world um, and, and loved it. And then very suddenly my dad passed away. Um, so I was aged 30 and uh, it just felt like the world collapsed. He was young, he was 61, no, no suspect situation or, or bad illness. He just went and it just affects you. It rocks your world. Um, and I just, I couldn't face work. I just, I couldn't be me. Everything that I brought to work until that point just seemed completely irrelevant. And I wanted the world to just stop. I didn't, I didn't get why the world carried on when my dad wasn't in it. So um, I took six months out or I, I just stopped working. I didn't know how long I was going to take out, but I decided to take six months out and I didn't work, did a bit of traveling, didn't really know what I wanted to do. 
talk to friends about becoming a personal shopper, a dog walker, a florist, you know, that almost midlife crisis stuff, but just as a 30 year old. And then it was the business travel show in London. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to the business travel show and I'm going to see if the spark for travel and meetings is still there for me. And I went and I bumped into Cisco, my former client. So I used to lead their sales meeting. And I bumped into her and she said, oh my goodness, it's so funny that we meet you, Caroline, because we're about to kick off this major project and we've talked about it and you're the only person that can do it. We need you to run this project. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm not quite sure if I'm ready to come back here. And she said, you know, I've heard about your dad. I'm really sorry. We will support you 100%. The job is in Raleigh, North Carolina, but we will fly you home to be with your mom as much as you need to be. I was like, do you know what? I can't. I can't say no to that. And she was a great saleswoman. And she said to me, you know, it's only six months. You come and do it. It'll be absolutely brilliant. So I fell for the sales patter, went for six months, stayed for three years. You've probably heard that story a few times. <gasps> but it was such an amazing experience. And I'll be honest with you, it was a really naive experience because what we pulled off in six weeks to launch, I think, needed six months. Um, but I didn't know any different. So I just threw myself in at it and, and gave it the best. And we pulled it off. We had 72, or well, I think it was over 72 countries, all being serviced 24 by five out of one center in Raleigh, Durham. And it was absolutely amazing. We used Cisco IP technology to connect all of these local countries with local dial-in numbers into this one center. Now, nowadays that's normal, but back then they'd never been done. And afterwards, they would all say to me, that's so amazing that you pulled that off. And I just remember thinking, what do you mean it's so amazing that I pulled that off? Like, isn't this what everyone does? I just thought everyone else had done it. I think if they'd have said to me at the beginning, you're the first person to ever do something like this. No one's ever done it before. I probably would have run for the hills. <laughs> but I didn't. And I did it. And it was amazing. And they said, would you stay and would you do it next year? And I said, I would, but I want to start now. I, I'm not doing it in six weeks. I want to do it a build up of like nine months. So stayed there for three years. What an amazing company Cisco were. I had to be top of my game. And I've prided myself on, you know, being a, a, a leader and being the top of my game. But I had to raise it all over again at Cisco. Real perfectionist organization, not in a bad way, in a really good way. But I loved all of the people I was surrounded with. Brilliant, brilliant people. Um, and then they said to me, we love everything you've done in meetings and events. Would you come over and lead business travel for us in EMEA? So no, thanks. I don't do business travel. Um, it's a bit boring. It's a bit dull. It's just about one person at a time. And, um, and they convinced me and I moved across and I've stayed in business travel and now back to meetings again, actually, but business travel mainly. Um, and I realize it's not boring and it's not dull and it's actually pretty complex. So I led their travel program, um, learned a lot by doing it wrong, to be honest. I learned, um, I learned the hard way, I think, and then had an opportunity. Yahoo approached me and they wanted someone to set up their international program, blank sheet of paper. I'd be the owner. Perfect fit. So I went and built that at Yahoo. Amazing organization, complete playground to try new things anything I suggested to them was taken. I mean, it, it was absolutely glorious to be there for that period. Stayed there for about three years. And then um, at that point also became the ITM chairman's, the Institute of Travel Management. They approached me to say, 
did I want to be their volunteer chair? And I just remember laughing out loud and thinking, why do you want a 34-year-old who is more interested in shoes than she is the politics of the industry to come and be your chairman? And it was almost like, well, that's exactly why. Like we want someone who's very fresh to come in and and, and uh, change it up a bit. So then I was in two guises. I had my volunteer role and then my full-time paid job. And AstraZeneca saw me in that ITM role and approached me and said, we love what you're doing at ITM. We'd love you to come and change it up for our travel program. And um, again, this story is in my TED talk. I, I went through mass imposter syndrome going through the AstraZeneca hiring process because I just thought I had none of what they wanted. And as it turns out, I had everything what they wanted. I just didn't see that through the process. And that was a massive turning point for me. AstraZeneca, the six years I spent there, the best employer, so about their people, amazing leaders. I really like grew my leadership wings while I was there. And again, they gave me a complete playground to play with and, and do leading edge things that hadn't been done before. As I'm, as I'm saying all this, I'm starting to recognize a bit of a theme here, which I probably <laughs> haven't seen until I've saying this to you, Jeanette. Um, and, and loved my time there. Um, the most amazing leaders, Karen, John, Donald, all absolutely stretched me beyond belief. They got me doing things that I had no no realization that I had that in me. And so I will be it forever in their debt. Um, and then it's worked out it was the time to have children and and went off and it wasn't quite as easy as that, but we had children, uh, twins. And so I went off on maternity leave. And during maternity leave, um, Amex, who were my supplier at um, AstraZeneca, approached me and said, we want you to come and lead our European consulting business. Would you be up for it? Which was absolutely the job that Karen and Donald and John had been getting me ready for, which was amazing, right? To be getting me ready for a job outside of their company. What amazing leadership. And so I said, this is just perfect timing. I will come back from maternity leave. I will go into Amex. I AstraZeneca set up beautifully. They've got my cover in place. She can then take the job full time. Um, and so I went off to Amex, led their European consulting group that very quickly became the global job. And so I ended up in my absolute dream job of leading 150 consultants around the world, VP consulting of Amex. Like life doesn't get any better than that. Absolutely amazing. But I was never actually a right fit for that organization as it was back then. I think they've changed a lot since. My values and everything that I bring as a leader, I just don't think was the best of fits. Um, and as I was feeling that, my now business partner was approaching me saying, I want to set this company up. There's no one else I want to do it with. I think you and I would make amazing partners. He and I led ITM together. I think there's a, an opportunity for a consultancy to come in and help really drive positive change in this industry. And I think you and I can do it. And I'll share to round out the intro. Um, I had a list of about 25 reasons as to why we shouldn't do it. And I met him and I started from this really negative place of here's all the reasons why it won't work. That's not me, really not me at all. And about halfway through, he went, what has happened to you? Like you never come from this negative place. But actually it was something I think I needed to get off of my chest. And, and now the rest is history. That was five years ago. And from having been that 
corporate that I've just explained that went from job to job, better job to better job, kept progressing. I never saw myself as a small business owner and an entrepreneur. And now here I am. And I don't ever see myself going back. Oh, brilliant. Gosh, there's so much in there. And, it, and it is, there, we're going to talk a lot about the difference between corporate and entrepreneurial and, you know, the elusive balance being, uh, you know, with, with kids and the business to run. Um, but before we get into all of that, Caroline, that was fantastic. Thank you for sharing. It's uh, There's so much inspiration in there. But what I, I want to go back to a couple of things that stood out for me as you were talking, if I may, just to get mm. thoughts on it. Because there's a number of points in your career where other people saw potential in you that you didn't see in yourself. Um, and I think that's a common theme. I know I've had it through my career, you know, where I've been tapped on the shoulder to, oh, will you go and buy some businesses in Russia? And I've gone, what? Oh my God, I, you know. And actually, very often people will see things in, in you that you don't see yourself. Um, so when that happened and the numerous examples, how did you kind of get your head around it from an initial point of probably going, oh, my God, I can't do this. I'm not good enough or I don't fit to actually being able to go, well, hang on a minute. No, I can do this and I'm going to take the opportunity. How did you make that transition between those those two two positions? I think in the early days, I I just believed if someone believed in me, then I could do it in my early bold days. Then something happened, which really dented my confidence. And that was toxicity in the workplace. I think that dented my confidence. I won't share which, which job that was. Um, and so then I needed almost nourishing and, um, confidence building back again. And then there were great leaders who recognized that, saw I had it in me, but also saw I was a little bit damaged from previous experience. And so they were brilliant. And, and, and so they saw the capability, but they also saw this little bit over here she needs help with. So they helped me with that. And a number of times I would have come home to my husband, now husband, then boyfriend saying, oh, they want me to do this. Are they crazy? Like I, I can't do that. And he went, they're asking you to do it. So they believe you can, so you can. And, and he'd just keep repeating that over and over any time at all. It was almost like, I haven't got time to listen to this is ridiculous. Like why on earth would you say that? So that's, if ever I get there and you know, it, it will still happen to me today. Every now, uh, uh, nowadays, every now and then, maybe once a year, it doesn't happen that often. Um, it will come in and I'll go, they believe you can do it. You can. And, and yeah. so, um, that, that expression, fake it till you make it. I don't like it. Um, I think it's Amy Cuddy. Um, and I think she's moved on to say, fake it until you become it rather than fake it until you make it. Um, I think instead I would say I'd make all of those around me very aware that I'm going to do this, but I don't have all of the answers. I don't know everything, but I'm going for it anyway. And I'll need your support along the way. You know, I met a brilliant uh, new client yesterday who one of the things I respect in her so much is she said to us right at the beginning, I'm new to this. I don't have all of the details. I don't know. I'm not a subject matter expert, but we're going to do this and we're going to rock the world and we're going to change it. What amazing inner confidence to, to just say that out loud. I don't need to have all of the answers. So I think that's probably what they helped me learn. I don't need to have all of the answers. You'll find them out along the way. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as you're talking, I think a lot of that reson will resonate with a lot of people. And I think especially when you're in the corporate world, maybe 
and you're slightly earlier in your career, shall we say. I mean, I know I had this where sometimes you almost think you have to behave in a certain way or dress in a certain way. And, and those sort of stereotypes are there, aren't they? And very often it's things that we tell ourselves that maybe aren't a reality at all. But yeah, that, that sort of idea of being able to be your authentic self, bring your vulnerability to the table and say, listen, I haven't got all the answers. That's okay. Uh, but you might not have been okay saying that in your twenties or your thirties. Um, certainly, I didn't have that same confidence that you that you've just described as you get older. Um, yeah. I think it's like it's like a corporate facade. It's like every it happens in every organisation. That's one of the things I love about having a consulting firm is you get to work with loads of different companies, and these corporate facades exist. And the more junior team members feel like they have to have it all together, and they don't admit to a leader that they haven't got it all together. And we see it actually when people join Festive Road and they've come from a big organization, it takes them a while to sort of shrug off that heavy coat. And it's one of my roles in the company actually to keep reminding them, remember, this isn't a big corporate, like you bring, every, like it's warts and all here. And um, I don't need you to facade this. I don't need you to cover up and say, everything's fine. I need you to tell me how actually it really is. And and the team have shared that's actually really empowering that they can be themselves and they can be authentic and can be vulnerable. And I think in leaders, vulnerability is actually an incredibly attractive leadership trait. Yeah, 100% agree with you. And, you know, let, let, let's go back, not wishing to sort of bring out the, the sort of the painful experience of you losing your dad. You know, we, your dad was only 61 and you were 30 and it was all very much a shock. I mean, I lost my dad nine years ago and I remember not being in a good place and it's uh, for a long, long time and yet having a very high pressure job as well and, and having to deal with that. So, but people don't really talk about grief and, and how do you cope with that sort of stuff. Um, but when you took your six months off then, how, how did you work through the, I suppose, coming to terms with what had happened and I know you you had that opportunity to see if you had the spark when you went you know to to the event and what have you but over that six months what advice would you give to someone that's maybe going through a, a tr slightly traumatic experience like that as well how to kind of I suppose get comfortable with what's happened if you ever can with grief but be able to move forward from it yeah don't don't be afraid to ask for help um, mm. I've probably spent my life and my career thinking I can do it all. I'm, um, you know, I, there's, there's no need to ask for help. And I, you know, I remember the darkest days just absolutely curled up on my sofa with my mum's dog next to me, just sobbing. I mean, it, I've never felt anything like it since it grief. It's just such a different feeling to any other difficult emotion. It's like, it's like at your core, it's the hardest, hardest thing. Um, and I, I found an amazing counsellor who I worked with over those six months because um, there was other stuff that had gone on as well, which I won't go into today because this is not a therapy session. But for <laughs> those listening, in addition to losing my dad, there'd also been um, a really difficult, um, what's the right way of explaining it? almost like a post-traumatic stress disorder, something quite big had happened in my, in my world. Um, and that happened a couple of weeks before my dad died. So there was a lot going on in my head. And so I needed a lot of help. And, and I think pre the person, uh, pre that happening would have just gone, I, you know, I can pick myself up. I can do this. 
I just physically couldn't. I just, I, and, and I saw that in myself and realized I needed help. And the counselor was absolutely amazing. And I really needed that quite intense therapy to get through that period. Um, and actually I remember when I was the ITM chairman, I got to choose a charity. And so I chose Cruise, the bereavement counseling service who are there for people who can't afford to get counseling to ensure that they do, uh, you know, address their, their grief and how they're feeling. And it's, it's so, so critical. And I think that six months of intense grieving helped me then move out the other side, maybe faster than someone who has had to keep going and has had to keep the brave face on and has had to keep a big job going. I don't think I had that in me. Mm. Um, so whilst I actually wasn't ready to leave the job I left because I loved the company and I loved the team and everything we were doing, I just couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is so helpful because people listening, you know, the, the, the podcast is all about being brave, bold, brilliant and high performance in business life, you know, whatever, whatever chosen areas. But a big part of being able to be brave, bold and brilliant is working on yourself in particular at times where of, of extreme, you know, grief or stress or emotion, because if we don't do that, then it's almost impossible to be the best version of yourself um, for everyone else, isn't it? So I think for, for people listening, that will be really helpful, you know, to, to know that someone like you that on this outwardly is so successful and has had an amazing career but we all have our moments don't we where we just really need to concentrate on us and get ourselves yep. to a good place um so yeah well done for taking the six the six months off i mean and look what happened after that you know you, you'll never forget your dad will you i mean I, I i a day doesn't go by that i don't think of my dad or what would he have said or would have laughed at that or you know so it, i don't think the grief goes away but you just learn to live with it don't you in a different way and uh but yeah, no, that was really quite emotional when you were talking. And I just want to take change tack a little bit, Caroline, if I may, because you did an incredible TED talk um, in Folkestone, wasn't it? That you did the uh, the TED the TEDx uh, Folkestone. So anyone that's not not seen that, I highly recommend that they do check it out. But do you want to talk about this whole idea of you know? I suppose two sides of the fence in when it comes to gender, um, you know, equality and the, the TED talk itself, you covered so much brilliant content. But if you could just give us the the kind of the highlights now and, and also why you did the TED talk and, and why, you know, why was it so important to you um, as well as the core messages behind it? Yeah, sure. So um, why I did it is quite a funny story, actually. Um, so I've. I've never been that interested in gender, the gender debate. And it sounds bad to say never really interested in gender equality because I it just had never affected me. I didn't I didn't believe it. I didn't think it was an issue. Um up until having children, I in, in the leadership roles that I was in, I'd get approached by the media. Um, can we have you talk about this about women in business? And I just would always refuse because I'd always say gender has never got in my way. And I truly believe every job I ever had, I got because I was the right person for the job and it was never about gender. And I look back and I realize I was the lone female around the table at times, but I, I, I never felt it at the time. And, and so I've never really thought about gender so in, in so much detail until my children arrived. And then 
I went through this really difficult period of um, work me and home me. How on earth am I going to blend those two things together? Because I'd spent, by the time the girls arrived, I'd spent 24 years working, 23, 24 years working. And so that was me. That was Caroline, the worker who had a very specific way of doing everything. Outlook ran my life. My PA ran my life. And now all of a sudden I've got two babies who run my life. Like this is, this is such a weird thing for me. And then going back into the workplace and realizing I've had these children, yet I need to be in a different country every week. And I need to work till 10 o'clock every night. And I need to um, not be around and see them at bath time and all of that. I mean, my husband was brilliant in all of this, right? He was the primary parent, if you like. He was always there. He worked full time as well, but he was always the one there before and after school, before and after work. Um, and so I just had this moment where I was like, I didn't, like, this isn't what I signed up for, but I don't know a way out of it. So I spoke to a couple of friends um, who re I realized they were feeling exactly the same. And we said, you know, I, like, let's get some women together and let's just talk about it because maybe we could help each other here. Let's get 10 women together and see how it goes. And then we realized we were onto something. And we said, let's get 100. Let's try and help 100 women who are, are working and are struggling with being a working mum. And at that point, I, it was all about women for me. It was nothing about the role men had to play. So we created Women at Work four years ago with, I think there was about 10 of us. There's now three and a half thousand members. So over those four years, it's just grown organically. We've never made any real effort to grow it. It's grown organically off of the back of, it's real women giving real advice to each other. And it's amazing, right? I've seen the power of women lifting women, all of that, it's been really brilliant. But having that group, helped me see that it was a bit of a gender ghetto. It was like this place where only women go. And actually that means surely they're only getting one side of the story, right? They're just, it's lots of women helping lots of women. Are we not missing a really important view? Cause that's not what the workplace looks like. So I felt I wanted to really do something that helped bring men into the conversation, but I honestly didn't really know how to do that. And so I was exploring that at the same time as I was going through a program at RADA in London, who is the most amazing um, development opportunity if anyone gets to do it, where you're at the RADA studios and theatres and you're being taught by actors and how to project your voice and all of those things. And I stayed and I did some one-to-one -one coaching with one of the RADA leaders. And as I was doing that, I was also exploring this thing about why gender equality is not just about women. I felt really passionately about it, but I didn't know what to do about it. And she said to me, you need to write a book. I said, well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm never an author. I don't, I don't have that in me. She said, okay, you need to do a TED talk. And as someone who spent a lot of time doing corporate presenting, it's almost like a rite of passage going to do a TED talk. I was like, well, you know, actually, I think I, I, think I could be quite interested in doing that. She said, well, it takes a long time to get selected. So start applying now. And maybe in the next couple of years, you'll get a TED talk. The TEDx posting came up. I applied two weeks later. I've, I mean, got a TEDx place. So not ready with any content or, but I just knew I wanted to talk about this topic. And the three things that I cover in the TED talk, and there's a fourth that I've added since, but there's three key things that I start out with that I think gender equality is very much about um, confidence, childcare, and capability. 
and that we seem to label women with the non not confident label and men with the too confident label it's absolute bs and i'm sure anyone listening will go oh well, i've met men who don't have confidence and i've met women who have lots of confidence i just it's so ridiculous and we've spent years telling women that they lack confidence and it's almost like they've accepted it and of course many haven't right but i just i just thought okay throw the toys out my pram i've had enough i need to do something about it i'm going to talk about this so i created four personas four animal personas the mouse the swan the peacock and the cat to describe different types of confidence and encouraging people to really work on their confidence whether you're a man or a woman to get to this cat-like state where you're very self-aware you've got that deep inner confidence then the world's your oyster i mean you can pretty much go and do anything but if you're going to play around in one of those other three you're going to constantly self-sabotage and you're going to constantly get in your own way so that's my confidence piece around gender equality. Um, I would love everyone to own their confidence. Then I talk about childcare um, and that story I just told about me realizing that, you know, this, how do I be the mum I want to be and the leader I want to be? I realized that when children arrive, there is this gender gap that happens in the workplace. And there is this expectation that women leave to look after children, um, or look after babies during maternity leave um but as the more i thought about it and the more i listened to men did i start to hear things like I'd, I'd love to be off with my baby but my company won't pay me so therefore it doesn't make financial sense or my company will pay me but if i leave for six months my company will think i'm not serious about my career um and, and, and many many more examples and i just i just really hit me to think that if we carry on thinking that childcare is a woman's responsibility, nothing will change. And if you look at the Nordics and you so uh, and, and include Iceland as well, and think of all of those Nordic countries, they have amazing gender balance because they have amazing gender balance in the work in the home as well. Um, so I talk a lot around that. Um, Although I would suggest that, and I talk about the fourth thing here, my learning has continued since recording that TED talk and Harvard Business Review have this amazing piece of research and article that they wrote around, is it gender or is it overwork? And I stepped back and as I read that article, I just like everything was churning inside of me. But actually, do you know what? This is it. It's actually not even about children. It's about people who want a life outside of work and aren't prepared to give their all their soul their every waking hour to their workplace traditionally that is what has got people promotions and so therefore that's why there aren't i mean of course there's lots of very successful women and they do get promoted and i'm sure they would admit they've met there's been a lot of self-sacrifice and they've had to make a lot of compromise to get there as the men have had to as well so I'd love us to think about the culture of overwork and how we promote people today and what being a leader really means. And I'd love to see a day where we think of leadership as not just the IQ and the driving the results, but it's also the EQ. So it's the what and the how, because I think if business shifted to that, then the gender piece would fix itself. Um, and, and I'll share, there's an amazing TED talk by Ajay Banja, the chairman of MasterCard. And I, I first heard him at a HBR conference 
And he talks about business is actually in a really, or commerce is in a really difficult place because we are constantly rewarding short-term behaviors. And if we think of sustainability, um, we're, we're never going to change the sustainability issues we have on the planet. If we keep thinking short-term, we have to think longer term. But he then brings in gender and he brings in workplace um, inclusivity and all of those things and says, if we keep rewarding short-term, nothing will change. So I put all of those things together and just think about if we carry on hiring the same kind of leaders, appointing those same kind of leaders, if we always do what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always got, right? So that's the piece for me around gender and, and filling those C-suite spots with a, with a better diverse mix. And then finally, I talk in the TED Talk about capability, that women's networks tend to focus on capability as if it's women are broken and women need help to develop capability. In all my years in corporate life, across all the talent reviews I've ever done, across all of the teams I've ever had with men and women, men aren't perfect and men absolutely need capability support as well. All of us, we're all human, we're all developing, we've all got our strengths and we've all got stuff we need to work on. It's just so not about gender. And so I try to really get that home as well. Yeah, no, and it's it's brilliant. I love all of that. And there's so much value in what you're what you've just gone through there. And as I say, for anyone that's not had chance to to listen to that, you know, listen to the whole the whole talk because you're absolutely spot on. I mean, I I I was nearly always the only woman in the boardroom with a PL. Um, you know, you'd often have HR and no disrespect to HR. I'd like to see more male HRDs, to be honest. But, um, you know, I, I was like you. It never held me back in my career. And I used to always think, well, if you walk into a room thinking there's going to be a problem, there probably will be. You know, whereas if you don't, you just get on and do the best you can do. Uh, actually, you know, you're normally you'll normally find find your path. But I do think that belief piece, you know, that that sort of confidence is absolutely critical because, if you don't feel, as we were saying earlier, if you're not in good shape and you've got the right mindset for growth and development and open to opportunities and really believe that you are capable of anything, there are no limits. Um, otherwise, you're always going to be battling that. Um, so it's something that I work a lot with uh, with my mentees, actually, that belief and, and really, really spending time on yourself and constantly, constantly telling yourself that you are good enough, you do belong, you can do this, um, in whichever way is going to help get rid of those negative gremlins and, you know, imposter syndrome feelings. Because, uh, But it's not just men, it's not just women, it's men as well that feel that. I, I agree, I agree. But let's talk then a little bit, Caroline, on the back of that it's not about gender. Um, but the transition that you did make coming out of the corporate into, you know, setting your own business up with your partner and obviously, you know, five, is it five years on now, you know, massively successful um, that, you, that you've achieved there. But that transition then and, and how you've managed to get balance or not, as the case may be, but just as an entrepreneur rather than actually in the corporate world. Yeah, sure. Do you know what a journey five years of being out of my comfort zone every single day. Um, so I think, you know, 25 years of corporate life, I, I knew how to play the corporate game. I, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful or, or arrogant way. I mean it in a corporate work in a particular way. And they all work in different ways. So when you, when you move from Yahoo to AstraZeneca, you work out the new way. 
and you watch and you observe and then you you mend and you mold in blend and mold into this maybe slightly changed version of yourself but never to change all your values and all of that so i i knew how to play that game beautifully i didn't know how to be an entrepreneur and i didn't know how to be a small business owner but it was almost like a like like how hard can it be um was sort of the i guess first stage and then i realized in the first i guess it's been it's been like a roller coaster, if you like. The first year, it was all about getting set up. We said no a lot in the first year because we had this real belief in what we thought Festive Road would be. Um, and, and we were feeling our way through the first year, I would say. And Paul and I are both really intuitive leaders. And then we realized, actually, we've been saying no too much. And there was this big opportunity sitting over there, sort of almost like an elephant in the room that we needed to go after. So we went after that and suddenly exploded and we grew really quickly. And so years two and three were like this speedboat ride where we were moving fast in everything we did with not a lot of structure behind it, which is the, I am the structured individual and Paul is the big creative. And so between us, um, we, we have this lovely balance, but I was always sort of hankering for this, like the corporate structure of, well, where's my monthly P&L report? And where's all of my finance resources? And we need some new contracts written. Where's our legal team? Um, the laptops aren't doing what they should do. Where are the IT team? Like all of those things that you absolutely take for granted in corporate life. You now, the buck stops with you and you've got to work it all out. Some people may enjoy that, but I just kept thinking like, this is not my zone of genius. It's not even my zone of excellence. This is my, Caroline hasn't got a clue what she's doing. Um, and so you were constantly trying to patch together. What do we do with HR? What do we do with IT? What do we, when actually I just wanted to go make a difference in the industry and do brilliant client work. So um, we realized through pain versus through advanced planning, um, that we needed a much better infrastructure underneath us and that we weren't going to be able to grow unless we got that infrastructure in place. And we did this really simple exercise where we just sat together one day, Paul and I, and said, right, what's everything that is painful? And it was really fascinating to do that exercise. Once you've got everything out, and this is, I guess, being a true consultant at heart, you're getting people to try and extract information. As we looked at it out on a whiteboard, became really obvious right we've got people's stuff that needs hr type we've got operations stuff we need an operations type we've got finance i mean it was just so obvious if you think of a corporate structure and so now we have operations including everything like people processes we have finance who it's more of like an fd kind of role where it's all about um, management information and guiding us on cash flow and all those things and then we have more of a tactical finance, outsource, um, and then we have marketing. Paul used to run really fast and do with marketing. We now have a brilliant marketing person. And so we have like a mini corporate structure there to support the whole of the rest of Festive Road. And it's been like this freedom moment of, we, we don't have to run the company. We can just go be brilliant, go look after the clients, go look after the people, go change the industry. Um, and so part of our strategy, actually, when we were redoing strategy last year, we talked about unleashing the managing partners, which for anyone in the industry listening to this will laugh going, oh, my God, do we really want those two unleashed? <laughs> Probably a little bit unleashed already. Um, but our aim was to try and do whatever we could 
to ultimately ensure the clients were giving the ultimate in service. Our roaders had the ultimate working experience. And yet at the same time, Paul and I could be out there in the industry, really driving positive change. And you sort of, uh, and I've read this brilliant book recently, actually, and I wanted to hold it up for those watching, but also to share it for those listening. Anything You Want by Derek Sivers. It is the most amazing book and it's thin and it's tiny chapters and it is the easiest read. But for anyone thinking of starting out um, their own organizer, their own company, it's the, it says 40 lessons for a new kind of entrepreneur. And it is just brilliant. I read this retrospectively, so I've only just read this and I wish I had this on year one, but it's helped me see the brilliance of what we've built in a nutshell is it's our company. We've got to build whatever we wanted it to be. And the core of it was, and I've got part of it on the wall behind me, do what you love, love what you do. Nothing else matters. And actually that has stuck through ev everything we do, every decision we make, whether we say, we might say no to a client because that's not a right fit project for us. We might move a rotor from one project to another because they really weren't enjoying this over here. Let's go put them into what they love doing. It's so simple, yet it's so brilliant because it all just works itself out. But we created that. Um, and I think that's probably one of my, I guess, some of the lessons as an entrepreneur um, that yes, yes, it's all about running fast. And yes, at times it can be about long hours and those things, but it's ultimately what you want it to be. And if it turns into being anything other than that, then that's a little bit like more for you. Like don't, don't go build a multi-million dollar multi-country company if that's not what you want. Um, and so that the advice we were given, actually, I think it was about year two, we've been really good at asking for counsel and help throughout. And there's an amazing woman in the US called Cindy Allen who said to us, make sure you're building the company that you want to lead. And, and so snippets of advice like that over the years, have, I think, helped keep us on track. Mm, that's brilliant. And, you know, you're right, because it is such a shock when you come out of a big corporate organization. On the one hand, you crave the freedom, choice, flexibility, all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, my God, it's me with my laptop. I want the structure back. I need the resources. And, and it's how do you then set yourself up for success? And you're right. You know, I think having those foundations and, and knowing what you enjoy, what you're good at, and then fill in the gaps with other people that are experts in those areas that you need and, and then getting out of their way and let them do their bloody job, you know, because I think so often, as especially when it's your own business, there's a temptation to meddle, isn't there? <laughs> you know, there can be. And so you can only really move away from that if you've created a structure and the right resources and people that you trust and align with your values, as you rightly said, Caroline. So massive congratulations on what you've created. It sounds truly incredible. And you're clearly loving it because you're just thriving. You've got such a lovely smile on your face. And uh, mm -hmm. I can see that you, you really love what you do. And you're right. If you can merge your, you know, your passion with your profession, that's the perfect sweet, sweet spot, isn't it? You know, so, yeah, really, really great. Gosh, we could talk all day, you know. There's so much that we haven't even covered. We have to do a follow-up, Caroline. But um, I'm uh, conscious I've got a couple more questions to ask you, if I may, because you've mm. given loads of brilliant advice uh, as we've been chatting. But can you think of the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? I think linking back to what we were 
saying earlier, it's about believing in yourself. I've had uh, amazing advice over the years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lines of advice. Um, but actually it's so core that if you don't get that confidence piece worked out, everything else is a bit irrelevant that you yeah. can focus on capability, skill, <sighs> presentation skills, academic skills, finance skills, all of those things. If you don't have the confidence when you're sitting in front of the CFO delivering that presentation, when they start niggling you and pushing you and, you know, the fight or flight reaction that kicks in there, if you're not confident in yourself and, and have the confidence to say, I don't know the answer to that question, but I will get you the answer by tomorrow. Um, I see so many people fail with that. So um, I, I and, and I was one of them until John Kirby really helped me with that AstraZeneca. Um, so I think that believing in yourself, um, but knowing that don't try and do that on your own, because what's really fascinating, and I talk about this in the TED talk about the peacock type, how do you know whether you have high levels of self-awareness or not? Because if you don't, you need someone to help tell you. So there could be someone listening now that says, um, well, that's good because I, I totally believe in myself. So job done. But maybe you're believing in yourself and the way you're showing up actually isn't that great or is toxic or is affecting other people or, you know, so I, I guess like don't be an island within that as well. So have belief, but make sure it's a really well placed belief. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. That inner you piece is so critical. Absolutely. And can you think of any bad advice that you might have been given, Caroline, that either you ignored because it was so bad or that you took and you think, oh, I wish I hadn't taken that advice? Do you know, I think probably the theme of bad advice would be don't do it. And most of the time, if I've got my heart set on doing something, I'm going to do it. Um, now, I wouldn't say that I'm not able to listen to guidance along the way because I absolutely will shape and change and, and all of those things. Um, but over the years, I've, I've had quite a lot of negative, not a lot of negativity. I've had some negativity, maybe from senior people saying it will never work. Um, I don't believe we can achieve it. And and that, and I remember my dad actually saying to me, um, going for my driving test, you're never going to pass. And that's obviously stuck with me because I'll show you, of course I'm going to bloody pass. And so I think I have that in me. If I truly believe in something and I've done all of my data checks and I've got, you know, I'm coming from a really informed place and then some negative voice comes in and says, it'll never happen, you'll never do it that almost spurs me on even more. So it's like bad advice, but I turn it into good advice, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you're right, because so often people can really blow us off track, aren't they? You know, the naysayers, they can really, you know, make you doubt yourself and what have you. So you have to be able to, uh, I suppose, selectively decide whether you're going to listen to that or not, as the case may be, because it can really destroy your confidence, I think, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think it's where is that person coming from? So there are some mentors and amazing leaders that I'm very fortunate to have in my life. If they told me, stop, Caroline, you're being ridiculous, I would stop 100%. But 
but it's getting the difference between those trusted advisors around you and just anyone else. How credible is their opinion? And I see people, I see women in women at work spin around this quite a lot of so-and-so has said this and I, you know, I'm really struggling with it. Well, who is so-and-so? How credible are they? Is it just an opinion or is it something you've really got to listen to? And I think over the years, I've learned how to filter into the yes, no bucket very quickly or mm. credible, not credible very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Fantastic. So the final question for you, Caroline, is what does brave, bold, brilliant mean to you? Showing up. So there'll be times where you don't feel brave and yet you still show up. Um, there'll be situations that are completely out of your comfort zone, um, but you're bold enough to go, do you know what? I'm going to give it a try. And for me, for instance, that was getting on stage for the first time in front of a really big audience and then realizing, do you know what? Actually, I've got a bit of a flair for this. I actually quite like it. Um, I never realized that would be the case. And then it, brilliant, brilliance in the way you show up. I've got real pride in how I conduct myself. You know, things like if there's something positive to say, say it in front of many. If there's something negative, say it one-to-one. I think to me, that's about being brilliant, absolutely being the best version of yourself, but really thinking about how you affect others. The shadow I cast, you know, is it having a negative impact on people or a positive impact? I, I hope, I hope I show up in the right way. Yeah, fantastic. No, I love that. You're so right. And of course, you are brave, bold and brilliant, Caroline. So it's been great to have you on this on the uh, podcast and on the YouTube channel for those watching. So, um, yeah, thank you so much, Caroline. We'll have to do a follow up. Thanks, Jeanette. I've really enjoyed it. And it's flown by. My goodness. I'm not actually very good about talking about myself, actually. So um, it's been quite funny hearing myself share my story. Yeah, no, that's great. Honestly, no, you've been provided so much inspiration for people and uh, yeah, loads of valuable content here. So thank you, Caroline. You've been wonderful. Thank you. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.